Thank you, David. I just realized I think I might have left my clicker in the sound booth or my daughter's wandering. Ah, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, Tasha just uh, pointed out to me that I'd, I'd, I've been gone for a week. Uh, um, some of you might be wondering where the Dunnings disappeared to. Um, I, uh, well, I'll just tell you. We were in Florida for a week. We went to Disney World. Uh, if I look a little rounder than I was when I left, it's because I did, in fact, eat like a churro every single day or maybe multiple churros every single day, and Dole Whips. Uh, if you uh, don't know what a Dole Whip is, uh, then you have missed out in life, and I apologize. Uh, you should rectify that immediately. Um, this morning, uh, it's good to be back with you all. Uh, you know, it's, it's weird being gone from your church family for a week because you kind of see it as a hallmark of, of the week. It sets the pace for your life in a lot of ways to check in with your church family and have the opportunity to reconnect, rekindle, uh, rebuild what's going on in your life and restore your spirit for the week ahead. Um, it, it can become emotionally and spiritually exhausting to be away from your church family. That might also have something to do with the Florida heat and humidity. Um, fall is back with a vengeance in my life. The, you know, stepping off the plane, it was immediately apparent that we live in Oregon for a reason, the nice, cool, fresh air, but it was also a little bit of a rude awakening in some ways. Uh, you know, we've been doing this series on chores, and this is our, our last uh, in this particular series. You know, if you remember back to the very beginning, I had introduced the idea that there's sort of a a mindset in America of what it means to be a family that I think has been shaped largely by Olive Garden. Uh, you show up, you pay your money, you eat your breadsticks, you get up from the table, and you don't have to do anything afterward, right? That's uh, the salad too, the soup salad and breadsticks, right? You get up and you leave, and, uh, and you're done. Nobody expects anything of you at that point. As long as you paid your check, you're good to go. And sometimes I think we fall into the habit of thinking that our church family is supposed to be like that as well. We can show up, we can get fed, we can maybe, you know, tell a couple jokes around the table, and then when we leave, as long as we've put a little check in the box, we're good to go. But family is about belonging. It's about having a space where we come and we say, I have a part here. These are my people. This is where I belong. It's, it's my home. These are my brothers and my sisters. I care about their well-being. I care about seeing them succeed. I care about us together succeeding, about us as a family growing, becoming more and more the people that we want to be. I had mentioned the idea that, you know, in our family, we have goals and aspirations for our, our whole family and for one another as well, things we'd like to see happen for our children for our spouses, things that we want to see grow and, and become better and more uh, impactful for us to change and become better people in many ways. And so we do things in our household to support those efforts. I talked about the idea that we put this chore list up on our fridge and whether or not everything gets checked off every week, at least we all know that there are things that we're supposed to do to contribute to the well-being of the home so that all the things that we aspire to doing together can be taken care of, that we can potentially reach the things that it is that we hope for as a family. 
And then we talked about these different roles that people play in the church, and some of them have lofty names like uh, prophet or, or shepherd or evangelist, and some of them have names like hospitality, encourager. Some of them are things like uh, you know, making sure that the trash gets taken out. That's a chore on our chore list at home, but also a chore on our list here at the church. And there are people that make sure that those chores happen so that maybe the people who have other jobs to do don't have to take out the trash. We talked about the idea that we all need mentors. We need people who are willing to walk alongside us and and help us maybe step up in life. Individuals who invest in us, who maybe have been where it is that we are going and speak words of truth and wisdom to us that remind us of what our purpose is, to, to recognize us for the gifts that God has given to us. Last week, Kyle shared about this idea of co-laborers, people who walk alongside us, our brothers and sisters in the faith, who share in the work that we do, because sometimes the chore that we've been given is too much for one person to do alone. Now, I want to kind of come to the end of this particular series and point out that there are still a lot of things we could talk about. All the rest of the things that the church is called to do you know, the, the list could go on and on and on. If, you, if you're at a church building in the middle of the week, you, you begin to realize the number of people that have little jobs that you just kind of take for granted. I remember when I was a little kid, I just kind of thought that my, my Sunday school teachers were so smart that they could step into the classroom on Sunday morning and magically a craft would appear and they'd know how to do the craft and they'd be able to tell you the story that was happening and all those flannel graph things just came pre-cut out and you didn't even have to worry about it and everything magically just fell into place and the preacher got up on Sunday morning not having planned anything but he had so much Bible in his head that he could just talk about anything And then I became a minister, and I realized none of that was true. There's so much work that goes into it every single week. Now, some of you are thinking, how much time does Chris actually spend planning his sermon? It's a lot of work for the things we see on a Sunday morning. But all the things that we don't see require almost as much, maybe even more work. There are so many little tasks and jobs that have to be filled in the church, so many pieces to the puzzle that allow us to function as a congregation. We have Bob Lubin who comes in and and literally, with John Germain, runs wiring through the walls to make sure that our church infrastructure works the way it's supposed to. We have, again, you know, uh, oh man, John's, John's going to be upset with me because he was never here. If you ever ask John, uh, you know, hey, who, who was responsible for the lights or this burst pipe or the hot water heater that exploded in the closet? He wasn't responsible for it exploding, but he was responsible for fixing it, right? If you ask him, you know, I wasn't even here. But the truth is, there are a lot of little things like that that happen every week that are John's responsibility. He makes sure it happens. How do we make sure our bills get paid? How do we make sure that people are, are paid their salary? How do we make sure that benevolence checks are written? You know, maybe you don't know this. April Hammer does that. She takes care of a lot of, a lot of things that are urgent needs, things that are important so that we can continue to function, that we can continue to serve the people in our community. 
We have uh, a, a brand new deacon, although he's been doing the job for quite a while, who's responsible for making sure that American Heritage Girls functions on a regular basis, make sure that we make reservations for camps for the girls to be able to go out and, and have their weekends, make sure that uh, you know the person responsible for writing checks for American Heritage Girls, which is me, and I'm not always very good at it, uh, he, he badgers me about it, and he needs to because it has to happen, it has to function. We have a deacon uh, who's responsible for making sure that people are contacted about their Sunday morning worship participation. Corey Craig does that every week. There's a little email that goes out on Saturday. If you haven't already confirmed that you're doing things, he makes sure that you're confirmed. And if you can't do it, he, he spends time on Saturday tracking down someone who will. We have people who are responsible for making sure that people get rides to doctor's appointments. We have individuals who are responsible for making sure that, like, every once in a while, the fridge gets cleaned out so we don't practice science experiments in the fellowship hall. We have individuals that come in here on a weekly basis and, and see that, like, oh, you know, the communion cups are still sitting on the, the uh, chairs here. Maybe we should take care of those and toss them out. We have people that are here in the middle of the week to make sure that children's programs are going to function on Sunday morning. Heather does a lot of that work. Norma helps her with a lot of it. But the teachers show up and make sure that it runs without a hitch. We have so many people that just the things we see, they are responsible for. But all the things we don't see need to happen as well. And in Romans, Paul, Paul is dealing with a church that in some ways has forgotten that the church has work besides arguing with one another. See, they, they are a divided congregation in many ways. Now, the, when I say congregation, I'm talking about a number of house churches all across the city. And the interesting thing about it is it's, it's racially divided. It's probably at least somewhat divided as far as uh, the, the finances go. It's likely that they're also divided over a lot of issues, and we see that as Paul builds out the book. One of the things that we know for a fact is that the Jewish Christians, for a period of time, had been driven out of the city. Being a Jew in the city of Rome had been made illegal, and so they left their homes. They went and lived elsewhere for a period of time, and when they returned, the Gentile Christians had really clung to the faith. And they began to develop practices and traditions that were a part of their identity together. And it didn't look a whole lot like the Jewish Christianity that they had inherited, but it was very much focused on Jesus. It was very much focused on how they did life together. It was very much focused on making sure that those who don't know Christ might come to know Christ, but the Jewish Christians returning to the city were, were kind of shocked at some of the things that they had chosen not to carry on. And so there was squabbling about whether or not circumcision was necessary, whether or not you could eat meat sacrificed to idols, what's the right way to worship, what days of the week should we gather together, how in the world are we supposed to reconcile these two very different groups of people to one another and maintain one identity in Christ and we disagree and we argue about so much. And Paul recognizes this and he says, you know what? I've got a solution for you. Stop arguing about issues and start doing the work of the church. Now, he doesn't use those exact words, but if you open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 12, part of which we read already, Paul says this. After telling them, hey, 
you know, here's the positive thing about these Gentiles that have been grafted in. Here's the positive thing about the history of being an Israelite. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, siblings, household, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul begins by saying, look, we all know the dirty laundry. Let's air it out. Let's sort it a bit here. Let's come to some conclusions about what does and does not matter. You know what? If you're an, a, a Jewish Christian, great. If you want to continue to observe the feasts and rituals and practices of Judaism, but recognize that it's not essential to your salvation through Christ, continue to do those things. That's fine. If you're a Gentile Christian and you have no affection for those rituals and practices, but you recognize at least historically why they're significant, you don't have to keep them as long as you recognize that your salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And by being transformed by that idea, the, the activities of your hand, the manner in which you live your life, the interactions you have with one another and with those outside the church will be transformed as well. Discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If there is a chore that the church needs to be about, I think it's the discerning of the will of God. And that's not a one-person thing. Paul doesn't say, hey, elders in Rome, be responsible for discerning what the will of God is. Now, ideally, we have elders who are discerning about those things. Ideally, we have ministry staff who are praying about that constantly and looking for opportunities for us as a congregation to discern and then follow the will of God. But Paul doesn't specify one particular group of individuals within the congregation, within the body, to be responsible for the discernment of the will of God because it is a collective thing. The whole church is necessary for discerning and following the will of God. Because sometimes what Chris knows to be the will of God for him is not necessarily the will of God for the body as a whole. I might have an individual personal ministry I'm responsible for. In fact, I should have an individual personal ministry I'm responsible for. If I'm not following through on it on a weekly basis, I'm neglecting some of my chores. But together, as a household, we need to be about discerning the will of God. Who are we, as a congregation, called to be in light of the place and time that we find ourselves? How do we minister to our, our literal neighbors, the people across the street or down the street or the people who are upset because we just repaved the street, right? Uh, whatever it happens to be, these are the people that we're ministering to and how do we discern together what God's will for us and our relationship with them is? 
I think that's the chore that maybe is most important. But there are a handful of other things that Paul talks about here. We're going to continue on in Romans 12 today. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have, we all know this, many members... And the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members one of another. Think through those words. You've heard them most likely many times in your life, and you know he's talking about the arms and the legs and the head and the feet and all these different parts of the body that serve different functions but ultimately are all working toward the same thing, right? This is another metaphor. It's not the household. We all think about, what part of the body of Christ am I? Am I the arm, right? Am I, am I uh, for doing the manual labor? Am I the hand to do the skilled labor? Am I the mind to help think and, and share and, and move things forward? Am I the mouth to be able to speak to people? Am I the one that's supposed to be listening? Listening is an important function of the body. Am I the one who's supposed to be still and beating and providing blood and life to the rest of the body. We get that. But you notice what Paul says, not just that we are members of the body of Christ, but we are members of one another. Jesus tells us in the parable of the sheep and the goats that there's going to come a time where you know, he'll separate the sheep from the goats and he'll say to the one group, you fed me, you clothed me, you cared for me when I was sick, you saw me when I was in prison, you made sure that I was uh, sated when I was thirsty, right? Uh, and, and well done, enter into your reward. And we're like, yes, that's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That's great, that's wonderful. Service to Jesus, that's exactly what I want. But notice that he says that whenever you have done it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you have done it for me. When you've done it for one of my siblings, one of the people who's a part of the household, you've done it for me. Service to the body of Christ, the members of one another, it's essential to the functioning of the body. He continues, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He outlines a handful of things that I'd call chores of the church. He doesn't rank them. He doesn't say that one is higher than the other. Some of these are, are literally giving financially in ways that support other people doing certain works, or maybe even in supporting yourself in doing the work, but doing it through the church, in, in being merciful to people, cheerfully merciful to people, teaching, exhortation, service, and then he tells us what that looks like. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Notice he keeps using this phrase, serve. Serve the Lord. Serve. If in service, joyfully. This idea of service is, is highlighted, this chore of service. And we might say, well, what does it mean to serve? You know, that's a pretty broad term, and he's throwing a whole bunch of other stuff out here. I think he keeps coming back to service specifically because everything we do for the body of Christ is service to Christ himself and to one another. Contribute to the needs, sorry, uh, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay one, uh, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's all of Romans chapter 12 this morning. I won't read a whole lot more. There's plenty to digest here. But I want to suggest to you that sometimes we read this again. I think I've mentioned this earlier uh, in our series. We read a list from Paul, like a whole bunch of proclamations he makes or a whole bunch of names he says or a, uh, a whole bunch of attributes he lists off and we're like, well, that's a really nice sounding list. It's easy to just let it flow, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I need to slow down. I had a really big coffee this morning, so, you know, extra caffeine. We like to prattle off these lists without thinking a whole lot about what's being said. And I think most of us, if we really chewed on Romans chapter 12, we might find ourselves with a whole bunch of chores that we've been neglecting. These are not chores that are for some specific group of people in our congregation. These are everyone's chore. This is the clean your underwear up off the floor chore list. Because if one person doesn't do it, everybody's grossed out. I want to challenge you this morning to look at the list that I'm about to share. We're going to walk through just a handful of things, and there's going to be some awkward pauses this morning. And I know you're thinking, after hearing you prattle on, I'm not sure you can pause. I want you to really think about the things that Paul has encouraged us with here and, and come back to this greater body of work later this week and mull it over and chew on it. But think about these specific questions and come to some specific answers, all right? Don't broadly answer these questions for yourself. Be narrow in how you answer them. The first one, how will you, or who, sorry, who will you pray for? 
this might be a good time to look around the room and to remember that every person that's sitting in here is a human being that has something going on in their life this week. I heard the phrase once, everyone's going through something, we just don't know what it is. Someone in this room needs you to pray for them this week. Who will you pray for? Now before I move on to the next one, think about it. Commit yourself to it. One person in this room that you will pray for this week. Don't see nearly enough heads moving around looking. Once you have that in your mind, we're going to move on to the next one. Who will you contribute to the needs of? There's a box at the back of the room you're going to be reminded later on in service today where you can stick a check, and that will broadly go to the work of the church, and we promise that it will be used to contribute to the needs of the saints. We will make sure that the church does its work. But is there someone here that you can contribute, not necessarily money, but time, a listening ear, a little bit of manual labor, maybe some skilled labor, is there someone in here that you can contribute to the needs of? Again, look around the room. Who will you show hospitality to? In our culture, I think this is probably one of the most difficult things for us to do. We all get anxious about what our house looks like about how our kids will behave when the, the guests show up. We worry about whether or not, you know, people are going to judge the, the smell of our shoes that sit at the door. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe that Emma Dunning has feet that smell like that. You think I'm joking. We all have these little nagging voices in the back of our head that say, you know, who wants my hospitality? Nobody wants to come spend time at my house. It's a mess. It's chaotic. It's wild. It's loud. I've got guinea pigs that out of nowhere just start making little chirping sounds, and that, you know, drives me crazy. Of course it's going to drive my, my, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ crazy. Most people, if you offer them the invitation, will be honored by the invitation alone, and you know what? Most of the time, we don't really care about the chaos of someone else's home if we're the guest in it. Who will you show hospitality to this week? Who will you rejoice with? Again, put your head on a swivel and look around here. Are there people in this room that are going through something, but it's a good thing? Something that's worth celebrating? I'm thinking back, I remember when Kyle and Rebecca shared with us that they were going to be having Hannah and the rejoicing that happened as a congregation over that good news. I remember the first Sunday Hannah was here in person and how many people were excited about that and rejoicing about that. A couple weeks ago when we had a baptism, I remember people being excited about that and rejoicing together. But you know what? Every week there is someone in our congregation that has something to rejoice over. A birthday, an anniversary, 
a time that they're just looking back and saying, you know, this was a really good week. Do we know one another well enough to know what we should be rejoicing over for one another? This is a, it's a good chore, guys. Do you know what to rejoice with, or who to rejoice with, and what about? Who will you weep with? We have members in this church who have lost loved ones recently, within the last couple of weeks. We have individuals who have have suffered other personal losses, who are struggling, maybe in raising their kids, struggling maybe in, in their relationship with their spouse, who need someone to come along and like the good part of the story of Job's friends, sit in silence and just be present in grief. Do you know who you need to weep with this week? Maybe the toughest question overall, who will you be lowly for? This is a really difficult one for me. Who have I put myself above? Who do I allow my life to, to kind of minimize in some way? You know, things are so busy for me. I've got so much going on. I've got my kids I've got to chase around. I'm really important and all my needs are really important. And, and because of that, I just don't have time to come and, and put myself below you, put my needs below your needs. There's this, this statement that Paul made at the very beginning, do not think of yourself too highly, but outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Are there people that I dishonor by making myself and my needs and the things that are going on with me too important? Can I be lowly for them? I seem to remember that the Gospels begin with the story of the Son of God leaving heaven and entering into the world as a child giving up the throne that Daniel had seen him sitting on. If you go back, you read Daniel, there's this statement about one who is like a son of man sitting on the throne. No coincidence then that Jesus is constantly calling himself the son of man, and he's reminding us, look, I left the throne of heaven. I left the kingdom of heaven. I came to be in this place, and now the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. I gave it all up, and made myself lowly so that I could give sight to the blind, so I could heal the legs of those who were crippled, so I could give voice to those who could not speak, so that I could raise the dead. Are there people in your life this week who have no voice that need to be given voice. People that you can help move who can't walk on their own, figuratively or literally. To be lowly is to set aside the things that are so important to you, 
the glory that you carry around with yourself and say, you know what? I care about you more than I care about the busyness of my own life. This week, someone needs you to be lowly for them. And I want to challenge you, if you don't have a name for each of these questions, or at least a handful of them, it's time to start doing your chores. Imagine if every one of us were praying for someone this week, were contributing to their needs, not just financially, I want to be clear about that, but in the various ways that we can contribute to other people's needs. If every one of us were showing hospitality to each other, if every one of us were rejoicing with someone, if every one of us were weeping with someone, if every one of us was being made lowly for the purpose of caring for others, what kind of church would we be? I think we'd very much be a Jesus-like church, a Christ-like church. Dare I say, the church of Christ. I'm imploring all of us, and myself especially, to do these chores. Now you're sitting there and you're thinking, ah, I know the person I need to serve this week that I need to be praying for, but you know what? I disagree about women's roles with them, and I really just don't even want to talk to them because it might come up. Or you're thinking, you know what? That person sings on the harmony team, and I don't think we should have the harmony team to begin with. And you know what? Uh, I'm not going to talk to them because they sing soprano, and they don't do a particularly good job of it. And you know what? I also, uh, sorry, Lorinda does a good job of singing soprano. That's where she's at this morning. I'm not making that point. That was just what came to my mind, okay? You might be thinking to yourself, you know what? I really don't like the way that Don makes coffee. (laughs) For a tea drinker, he does an excellent job. I just want to be clear. I don't have time to show hospitality to Don this week because, uh, you know what? My coffee was just a little weak. Paul starts the letter by saying, you know what, all those little petty differences that you have with one another, that's not what Christianity is about. This is the good stuff. This is what it's all about. About a community that has been made a family that cares for and loves one another and prays for one another, and maybe gets just a little too close to one another so that they can be made lowly for one another. We all have our issues. There are things we disagree about with one another. Even within the walls of my own house, there are things that we disagree about. But we are called to love one another. What was that phrase? Let love be genuine. This is what we're called to. And if your Christianity looks a little bit more like the bickering about which days and feasts to observe and whether or not circumcision is necessary, maybe read Romans 12 again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be a church that is in the shape and image of Christ, that every activity that we commit ourselves to, every conversation we have, every discussion that we're about is in his image, that we would commit our hands, our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength, 
every last bit of who we are to being a household that does these chores for the benefit of one another so that that benefit might outpour into our community and that we might be light and salt wherever we go. Father, I pray desperately this morning that each of us would have a name to fill in these questions, a name that we will commit ourselves to serving this week. Let it be six names, let it be a dozen names, but let us do it, Father. I pray that we would be committed to the image of Christ to such a great extent that everything else just fades away and that the love that pours out of us would be so genuine that everyone who encountered us would know us by that love, would know who we are, who we serve, what kingdom we are a part of based on the work of our hands and our hearts. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have need of the church this morning, we want to pray for you, we want to weep with you, we want to rejoice with you, we want to serve you, we want to be made lowly for you. If there are things that we can do to bless you and be your brother or sister in Christ and make sure that we are on top of our chores, I want to let you know that I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. You can tell me whatever you need to tell me. If there are ways in which you want to serve others, but you just haven't been able to do it yet, I want to help you out with that. I think our elders would be happy to help you out with that. And I know for a fact that we've got some ladies here this morning that would pray and, and encourage you and point you in the right direction if that's what you're needing as well. We're going to stand and continue our worship. Uh, if you need me, come see me at the back.